You may be seated. All right. Let's have the kids come forward. So for Advent, if you guys remember, you are helping us remember the coming of Jesus through lighting of the Advent wreath. And we're remembering a couple different things throughout these four weeks from the prophet Isaiah, where he gives us some names for Jesus, because Isaiah lived a long time before Jesus, but he gave people a promise that he was going to come. And last week we talked about one of the names. Does anybody remember what it was? wonderful counselor and we talked about how god jesus was going to be this counselor who was going to give advice and guidance and that he wasn't just any kind of guide he wasn't just any kind of advisor he was wonderful and we talked about how wonderful means like nobody else that he's the very best guide and the very best counselor so this was what we had for last week was wonderful counselor this week we're going to be talking about another name for Jesus that the prophet Isaiah gave us. So I have a question for you guys. Does anybody know what this is? Anyone want to shout it? It's got some buttons on it. Jake, I thought you might know what it is, Jacob. Do you know what it is? A battery of a screwdriver. That is 100% correct. Do you know what store this came from? It's orange. Do you remember which store is the orange store? Home Depot. Home Depot. Oh. Well done, Jacob. <laughs> I think he gets a round of applause for that one. Good job. So and I think, I think Matt gets a round of applause for raising his son appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a battery. Now, you guys might recognize what this is. What's that? Another kind of battery. Now, this kind of battery is not rechargeable. This kind is. So when you have a rechargeable battery, what does that mean? Do you know what that means? Henry, do you know what that means? Put more time into it. That's exactly right. These kind of batteries are, in essence, does anybody know how a battery works? How many of you understand how a battery works? Do you see how many few hands go up out there? Batteries for everybody are a wonderful mystery. How it works is inside, <laughs> there's chemicals. And those chemicals interact in a way that produces a stream of electrons, which makes electricity. And electricity is power, right? So these batteries, once you use all of that chemical reaction up, guess what? It's just, it just runs out. That's exactly right. You have to change the battery. These batteries, we put into a base, we plug it into the wall, and all the power was taken out, and then the power gets charged back in. And the chemical reaction of what's inside this battery allows you to do that. This week, we're going to be talking about God as mighty God. So we know that Isaiah said that Jesus was going to be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And the word mighty is talking about, what was it? Oh, you might have said something. That's okay. We won't make you say it again. Does anybody know what Mighty is talking about? We've been talking about batteries. What's in a battery? What was that? Power. 
And so mighty is talking about God's power. And not just any kind of power. Those batteries that aren't rechargeable, they just run out. And rechargeable batteries, you have to keep plugging it back in. But God's power, guess what? It never, ever, 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 ever runs out. That's right. It never, ever, 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 ever runs out. It never, ever, 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 ever runs out. That's right. God's power, he's that mighty. Do you get tired when you run? Yes, I get tired when I run. Do you get tired sometimes at the end of the day? We need naps. We need to recharge, just like those rechargeable batteries. Okay, well, when you get older, naps will become this most... How many people out there would love a nap right now? Sorry, right now. Mike. No, yeah. maybe like in an hour. <laughs> Ten minutes. But God's power never runs out because God is mighty. And so there are things that God can do that no one else can do because his strength has no end. And so that's what the name of Jesus today is going to help us remember, is that he is mighty God. And if you think, this is too big, I can't pray for God to do this because it's too big. But God, guess what? He can do it because he's the mighty God. So that's our exciting word and name for Jesus. And I have a Christmas ornament. Okay, before you, you hand those out. Yeah, let's, we're let's light, light yeah, let's light the candle and then we'll hand those out. So, okay, so I need a volunteer to light the candle today. All right, come on here. All right, I'm going to let you hold this. Now, why are we lighting candles? Does anybody know? For Advent. To, for Advent right. And to remember the names of God this year. I lost my matches. Last year, we, or last week, we lit our first candle. And what was the name we remembered again last week? Miss Nicole reminded us. Counselor. Wonderful counselor. So go ahead and light that one. Good job. And then this week, what is the name we're remembering? Mighty God. So we'll light our second candle to remember that Christ is the mighty God. Great. Okay, now just pull that down, that little letter, and that'll blow right out. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Again, during Advent, we light the Advent wreath as we build this light in remembrance of Christ's coming. It's a great tradition within the church. So thank you for helping us out with that. So before I give you your Christmas ornament to go on your tree, and if you didn't get a wonderful counselor ornament last week and you want one, you can check the trees, and there's a few. They look like stars. So if you want one, you can look and check and see if you can find one on the tree. I'm going to give you a Mighty God Christmas ornament, and you have a choice between a Hershey Kiss or a York Peppermint Patty. So think in your mind what you're going to take because this is not a long process, and I'm going to pray for you. Lord, thank you so much for these children. Thank you that we are all your children. Thank you that you love us enough that you came for us and that you will never leave us, never forsake us, and that you never, ever, 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 ever run out of power. Amen.
he turned down a piece of candy? Did. Huh. All right, let us pray once more. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, alone are both our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we are in our second week of Advent, and it's that time of the year where we are preparing for Christmas. Not just through buying gifts and gathering at holiday parties, but we are turning our attention towards God as we wait to celebrate the birth of Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. This year we are taking a look at the story that Charles Dickens wrote, A Christmas Carol. It's a story about the redemption of Ebenezer Scrooge, the regaining of his heart, which had grown cold and dark. When we meet Scrooge, he is described as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Dickens has this magical way with words. He paints these pictures for us that are so colorful. Basically, what he's saying, Scrooge is hard, and he is cold, and he is alone. The message of his life has become, keep your distance. That's what we chatted about last week. Now, last week ended with his dead partner, Marley, sitting with Scrooge on Christmas Eve. And the challenge that Marley had put before him was to lift his eyes his downturned solitary eyes to the star which led the wise men on the journey of their lives and to the light that it was shining upon all of humanity. This week, we're going to turn to stave two. Now, Dickens wrote this story as a Christmas carol, and he broke up his carol into staves or to verses. It's not really a song, but perhaps Dickens intends us to come back to his carol year after year and join together in the reading of it with joy and celebration, much in the same way that we gather and sing the carols of our faith. I think he intended for the story to reflect a Christmas carol. So let's not wait. Let's turn to Dickens' carol. At the conclusion of the first stave, the first verse of his carol, Marley has left and Scrooge is alone once more. And Scrooge takes a moment to examine the door through which Marley had entered. It was double locked as he had locked it with his own hands and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but he stopped at the first syllable. And being from the emotion he had undergone or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversion, conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, Scrooge, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing, and he fell asleep the instant. Now, Scrooge is going to wake up later that evening at midnight, and he is going to lay in bed, and what he is going to wonder is whether or not it had all just been a dream. 
had Marley's visitation actually happened. That is until 1245, when Scrooge will remember Marley's warning of a coming visitor. And then, as the hour bell strikes one, light will fill the room as the curtains of his bed are drawn aside. Scrooge will find himself face to face with his unearthly visitor in this bright, clear jet of light that is flowing from the crown of his head. Who and what are you, Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish stature. No, your past. Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anybody why if anybody could have asked him, but he had a special desire to see the spirit in his cap, and he begged him to be covered. What? exclaimed the ghost. Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through the whole train of years to wear it low upon my brow? The ghost of Christmas past had such a light about him that it illuminated the entire room. But Scrooge had lived in darkness, so much so that the light of the ghost bothered him. And he desired that it was put out. Did you know that on Christmas Eve, which is the day our story unfolds, in London, England, the sun will rise at 8.04 in the morning and it will set at 3.54 in the evening. That means the length of daylight is only eight hours. Eight hours of light. In a world without electricity, that's a lot of darkness. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, doesn't say much at all about the birth of Christ. But in his opening words to his gospel, he will say this. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In a world filled with darkness, Jesus had come to help people see. Keep that in mind. The ghost of Christmas past will lead Scrooge on a journey through the various scenes of his life. You guys know this story. The first scene the ghost will illuminate for Scrooge is a scene of boys calling to one another from the backs of ponies and carts. All these boys were in great spirits and they shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. The jockin' travelers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. Why was he rejoiced to be all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted at the crossroads and byways for their several homes? Because what was Merry Christmas to Scrooge out upon Merry Christmas? What good had it ever done him? You know, these boys in this scene, Scrooge's friends were on their way home for the holiday. You have to remember, Scrooge once upon a time had friends. 
and at seeing them once again was rejoicing in their midst. The ghost and Scrooge will continue along the lane approaching a mansion of dull red brick with a little weathercock surmounted cupola on the roof and a bell hanging in it. It was a large house, but one of broken fortunes. And at the back of the house, a door opened before them, and what they saw was a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by the lines of plain deal forms and desks. At one of these, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down upon a form and wept to see his poor, forgotten self, as he used to be. You know, Scrooge is filled both with joy and sorrow in this scene. Emotions that he hasn't felt in such a long time. And as he sits next to his child self, what he is filled with is compassion. Because in that moment, something amazing is happening. I wish, Scrooge muttered, putting his hand in his pocket and looking about him after drying his eyes with his cuff. But it's too late now. What is the matter? asked the spirit. Nothing, said Scrooge. Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should have liked to have given him something, that's all. You know, the sight of himself as a boy all alone in the boarding school at Christmas is going to cause Scrooge to reflect upon how he had treated that young boy earlier the day. The boy, we had learned in the first stage, had stooped down at the keyhole to regale Scrooge with a Christmas carol, but at the first sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, singing, hey, yeah, Scrooge (laughs) seized the ruler with such energy of action, and the singer fled in terror. As the ghost's light shines upon Scrooge's childhood, Scrooge will begin to see that he has power, the power to affect others, to change their situation in life much as he had wished someone had changed his, Scrooge is beginning to see. We continue on, and the next scene will lead Scrooge to a marvelous Christmas party thrown by Mr. Fezziwig. Why? It's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his capacious waistcoat, laughed all over himself from his shoes to his organ of benevolence, and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice. Yo-ho there, Ebenezer Dick. What follows in the scene is the preparation and celebration of Christmas Eve. We are told that there was cake and there was negus, which is this hot mulled wine drink. There was a great piece of cold roast and there was a great piece of cold boiled. And there were mince pies and plenty of beer. 
But the great effect of the evening came after the roast and boiled when the fiddler struck up Sir Roger de Coverley. And then old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. Top couple, too. With a good, stiff piece of work cut out for them, three or four and twenty pair of partners, people who were not to be trifled with, people who would dance and had no notion of walking. But if they had had twice as many, oh, four times, old Fezziwig would have been a match for them, and so would Mrs. Fezziwig. As to her, she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. If that's not high praise, tell me higher and I'll use it. A positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. You couldn't have predicted at any given time what would have become of them next. And when old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the dance, advance and retire, both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle, and back again to your place, Fezziwig cut. He cut so deftly that he appeared to wink with his legs and came upon his feet again without a stagger. I read that, you know, and read it again. <laughs> And read it a third time, and then I asked my wife, what in the world is Dickens talk about? You know, I, I read books, I'm sure, in high school because they kind of made you, but I didn't really pay any attention to them. So I look it up. Bring up a picture. This is an image of Fezziwig dancing. It's this image of his feet moving so fast that he's not even touching the ground. He's wearing white stockings, and his calves are winking. Dickens, again, is an amazing writer. He creates these pictures for us that are just utterly beautiful, if you have any clue what he's actually saying. All right. So during the whole of this time, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene and with his former self. He corroborated everything, remembered everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. It was not until now when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him while the light upon his head burnt very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small, echoed Scrooge. The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig. And when he had done so, said, why is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? Isn't it? Scrooge said with heated remarks. And speaking unconsciously like his former, not his latter self, it isn't that spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up 
what then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. This is the key. The ability to affect others is worth more than any fortune we might ever possess. I want to read what Scrooge says again about Fezziwig. And I want you to listen carefully to his words. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or toil, to say his power lies in words and looks in things so slight and insignificant that it is impossible to add and count them up. If we lift our eyes towards others, and then if we acknowledge that we have the power to make their lives happy or unhappy, light or burdensome, a pleasure or toil, simply through a word and a look, then aren't we spreading fortune everywhere we go? We have been given the power to have an impact on others. And then if we acknowledge that we have the power to make others happy or unhappy, light or burdensome, a pleasure or toil, can't we change the world? In the Gospel of Luke, an angel, a messenger of the Lord, is going to visit with Mary. And he has this word for her. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You are about to conceive and you are going to give birth to a son. And he is going to be great and his kingdom will last forever. And as a sign to you that what I am saying is true, your Aunt Elizabeth who in her old age was never able to conceive, is actually pregnant, six months pregnant. It's this amazing moment in Mary's life. God has seen her and through a word has bestowed upon her a fortune that no one could measure. Mary's funny because she will hurry and run to visit with Elizabeth. And when she realizes that Elizabeth is pregnant, when she sees her aunt, she gives praise to God. It's called the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. This is what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. He has seen me. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. You know, God has performed all these mighty deeds throughout history, all with his arm, which is this symbol of his strength. But probably the most powerful, at least for Mary, 
is simply the fact that God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary is saying, he sees me. He remembers me. You know, it is at Christmas time that we remember that God has neither forgotten nor forsaken us. That he sees us. He remembers us as he has spoken words of joy over us. You know, I'm often intrigued by the images that we hold on to of who God is. And I think one of the popular ones in the church is this angry, stern, judgmental God. But I think the image of Fezziwig is a much more appropriate one for the God we worship. Listen to how Dickens describes Fezziwig once again. Fezziwig, who rubbed his hands, adjusted his capacious waistcoat, laughed all over himself. From his shoes to his organ of benevolence and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice. Yo-ho there, Ebenezer. Dick. Yo-ho there, Dale and Dave. And Dina and Barb. The image of God in our mind should be of a jovial man who is filled with laughter. As Kruge said, power is being able to see someone else and then either with a word or a look, the ability to make their lives happy or unhappy, to make their lives, their service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. I will always remember one of my classmates from high school. His name was Joe. And Joe was someone who said hi to everyone. Which is a big deal if you knew how many kids were in my class. We had a, roughly a 1,000 students in my class alone. And Joe would go through the hallways of school saying hi to everyone, making everyone feel as if they had value. He changed people's lives through simple word. It's one of the things that I have tried to encourage my children to do as they've been growing up in school and outside, is to simply say hi to people as you pass them. Continuing, wrapping up here with our story, he, Scrooge that is, felt the Spirit's glance and stopped. What is the matter, asked the ghost. Nothing particular, said Scrooge. Something, I think, the ghost insisted. No, said Scrooge. No. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. Our words, just like God's word, have power. They have the power to reflect God's love in a world that is shrouded in darkness. Don't you think it's time that we begin to reflect some of God's light on those we run into? Let us pray. Lord, it is with a word that you created everything. The heavens and the earth, life. And you have given us that same power.
power to create life, to make happy or unhappy, light or burdensome. Father, impress upon us how powerful our words are and let us be mindful of them as we walk through this life in the light of Christ.